Grab your Bibles. Turn to Matthew chapter 6. We're going to be a little bit all over the Bible today, but we're going to be primarily uh, exegeting Matthew chapter 6. As you're turning there, if you're new, we're in a three-week series um, on stewardship. We're calling it Money Matters, and we're looking at really a survey of what the Bible says about, about money. Last week, as we talked about um, money, we really unfolded two truths. And the first truth is that uh, God wants us to have everything that we need. I, I would say it, not even hesitatingly, God wants to prosper us. He wants to make sure that as the people of God, we have what we need to take care of, of our lives and the lives of those who are around us. That's one truth. The other side of the truth is, is this neat thing, that he doesn't want us to have so much that, um, that we don't forget that God is the one that supplies our needs. And we're going to unfold those ideas, actually backing up a little bit and looking at what the Bible says is the overarching truth about money in all the Bible, and that is God is God controls it all. It all belongs to him, and he entrusts us as stewards. I'm going to unpack that. Matthew chapter 6. Did I say that already? All right, we're going to read these together. If you don't have a Bible, there's some down the middle aisle. Go ahead and grab it. You can uh, have that. Keep it as a gift from us to you. We're going to read this out loud, and you can join me by looking up at the screen. Let's read. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. This is God's word. Let's pray. Lord, we are grateful for the gathering of your church. I join the psalmist in saying, that's good that men would dwell together in, in unity. And so here on the, the eve of Dr. King's uh, holiday, uh, we are a diverse congregation coming together under the authority of the gospel, um, just as your community, as a community of, of faith, um, representing what you're doing in our hearts to break down barriers and walls and, and prejudices. And Lord, we say, keep on doing that. Do that in our, in our hearts to the to the utmost. Lord, we thank you um, for your word today. We pray that we would, we would stand under it, not over it, that we would submit to it. And Lord, that we pray that, that you would help us in, in this, this area of money and stewardship to, to understand that all that we have, absolutely everything, ultimately belongs to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. And so you got these two truths about money. God wants us to have enough. He wants to prosper us. But he also doesn't want us to have so much that, that we trust the money and not trust the source of the money, which is God. And this is what the balance looks like. Actually, uh, Proverbs 30 talks about the balance. We were looking at this verse last week. Go ahead and Proverbs uh, 30, 7, 7 through 9. Two things I ask of you, deny them not before me, not before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. And so the balance that the, the, the Proverbs writer is, 
is basically unfolding for us is, is simply this. We need, we need money. We need money to meet our needs. But the Bible cautions us that having too much of it, uh, if we got too much of it, we'll begin to trust in that money instead of trusting in God, who is our source. And as I said before, we want to step back uh, a couple inches and look at what the Bible says is the source of, of all wealth, and that's God himself. We're going to see that in the Matthew passage, but I actually want to show it to you where, where it uh, originates, and that's in Genesis. Everything that you can experience in your life, both good and bad, starts out in Genesis. And this idea of, of stewardship and God owning it all comes from Genesis as well. I don't have it on the screen, so you're either going to have to turn it in your Bible. Y'all got a Bible? No. All right, I'm going to read some passages. You, you are free to just listen to me. I'm, I'm reading Genesis chapter 1 verse 26 through a couple, and then I'm going to skip over to chapter 2. Then the Lord God said, let, man, uh, let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And he blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given, every, uh, I have given you every plant, yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food, and to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath of life, I have given every plant for food, and it was so. And God saw that. He had, uh, God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Of course, we didn't read the first five days of creation, but on the sixth day, God made the pinnacle of his creation. He made, you, he made people like you and I. He made man, and he gave them dominion over all that he had made. All right, now I'm going to jump over to chapter 2, verse 7, and read three verses. Chapter 2, verse 7. Then the Lord God formed a man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils, the breath of life. He gave man breath, brought him to life, and the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden, in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. Verse 9, And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Then I'm going to skip to verse 15. And the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it, and to keep it. Now, I can keep going, but you, you know the creation story. Basically, I mean, this, is, this passage of Scripture is called by many things. I call it the, the dominion mandate, and I call it that because, I mean, you see the word dominion um, listed both in chapter 1 and chapter 2 a couple times. And what we're basically learning here is the reality of the world that you and I live in. The Bible tells us that God has made everything, and he's declared and decreed. You hear people say that? This is an actual declare and decree. God is saying that you and I, people made in his image, are the, we have dominion over. He wants to subdue everything and cause it to, to exist within his authority, the authority that he gives to us and to, 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 uh, to control his world. In other words, he's made us viceroys, vice regents. Uh, the Bible calls it stewards, stewards of all that exists. He gives us that privilege to do that. And really, if you're, if you're reading into this passage in Genesis, what it's saying to us is there's nothing that exists that's not God's. 
And so this idea of steward is, is simply this. A steward is a manager or is an administrator. It's someone that doesn't own a thing, but he's, been, he's given to guard it, to, to be a partaker of it, and to treat it as if it were his, but it actually isn't. And that's how God treats us as people who have dominion on the earth and everything else on the earth being subjected to us. If I could reduce this thought of, of God owning everything to, to one phrase, this is how I would say it. You own nothing. Doesn't that hurt a little bit? Some of us, I mean, that's, that's a hard statement to swallow because a lot of us work hard. Some of you work very hard for the things that you have. And if you're, uh, if you're not a Christian, if, if you're hearing these words that God owns everything for the first time, I mean, you might be thinking, well, I mean, gosh, I mean, I, I went, I, I learned, I went to school, I learned, I interviewed for a job, I got a job, I get up in the morning, I do all kinds of things to earn everything that I have, my house, my clothes, all that stuff. But I would tell you, this is what Genesis is telling us, that, that you might have worked for all the things that you have, but God gave you to the mind to be able to think through the things that you're supposed to do. He gave you the body to, to sustain you. He gave you the air that you're breathing that keeps your, your life going, right? God is the only one that can cause a man and woman to become intimate and the seed and the egg come together and the miracle of conception happens that ends up in a, a baby that's born. Only God can create things like that. And Genesis is telling us that God, since he's created it all, he owns it all, he controls it all, and you're part of his creation. And so literally it all belongs to him. You cannot buy God. You can't give him anything that he doesn't already have. And I, I don't read a lot of C.S. Lewis, but C.S. Lewis in his Mere Christianity, the book that I have read, sort of um, unfolds this idea of God owns everything. There's nothing we can give him uh, in this book in the phrase called sixpence none the richer. You guys ever heard that? Sixpence none the richer. Um, the phrase comes from that book, and it's a little boy that asks his father for a sixpence, which uh, it's, it used to be a small English coin. Uh, they actually stopped using it around 1980. He asked for a sixpence from his father so that he could go and buy his father a gift, a special gift for a special day. And so the dad gives him the sixpence. The, guy, the little boy goes out, buys the, guy, the, the father um, uh, a gift, and the father receiving the gift, I mean, he's elated. He, he appreciates the, 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 the kid having the forethought to, to go and buy him a gift, and then he receives it. But then he, th I mean, it just this thought came to his head. Um, I've given out a sixpence, and I'm none the richer for it. I, I've given my money, and there's no way that in giving something to my son, he's going to be able to give anything back to me at this point in his life such that it will increase my wealth or make me any any better off. And then he sort of compared this to his belief that, you know, it's, it's how God is with us. God has given us all things. All the gifts that we possess, they ultimately belong to God. Because of that, we should serve him, love him, honor him humbly, realizing that we don't have anything that didn't come from him. For, uh, we're only like four weeks away from Christmas, right? I mean, it's, it's like January is almost all over. The year's going by really fast. But I mean, think about it. Four weeks ago, it was Christmas. Um, my kids got me some gifts. I asked them for nothing. I actually told them, I said, don't buy me anything. Um, my wife and I set a budget for Christmas, and I wasn't in the budget. You know, we had some things we wanted to get the kids, and then we look at extended family. What can we buy? What are we, who, are we gonna, who, who are we going to buy for? Who are we not going to buy for? What are we going to get each other? And, and, you know, thinking of the kids and just the joy of 
giving gifts to our kids for, for Christmas, they got me gifts anyway. All right. So um, it was nice gifts. Opened them up and I, I loved it. I don't have anything on that. They got me some shirts, a sweater, um, this nice uh, like a toiletry thing. I mean, beautiful. I, I didn't do that because my, my other one was like tearing up. It was bad, ugly. Um, and so I was like, wow. I mean, I love this. I mean, who picked this out? And of course, their mom told them what the, yeah, I mean, she took them, put them in the car, took them to the store. How much, I mean, do you think I know how much they spent on me? I mean, did I gain anything monetarily for my kids buying me something for Christmas? Absolutely not. I know exactly how much they spent because I look at my bank record every day. <laughs> and I actually told them not to get me anything. But I did get something. I got the, the joy of my kids learning about giving and receiving. There's many intangibles that I got from that interaction. But the truth is, um, you know, almost like my, almost like sixpence on the richer, there's, my kids can't give me anything at this stage in their life that I'm not going to have to help them give me. And it's the same way with us and God. You, you can't buy God off. He doesn't need anything that you could give him, even your good deeds, even the money that you put in church. God doesn't need that. Now, he requires it of you because it's a heart issue, but he doesn't, he doesn't need it. God can't be bought. You can never put him in your debt. He's too big, too powerful. Everything that we have is his. Even if you say, you know, the, the Romans 12 says, I can give God my life. I would tell you, your life is not yours to give or take. He gave you that life, and he will at some point take it from you. With that in view, long introduction, that really is what Jesus is conveying for us in Matthew 6. That everything we have belongs to God, and we're stewards of it. But Jesus in Matthew 6 conveys to us what we're to think about money. If, if, you, if you buy into this, this idea that um, God owns it all, and we are stewards, Jesus tells us then how a steward is to think about money. Uh, this is part of the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount starts in chapter 5 of Matthew, goes all the way through chapter 7. And what the Sermon on the Mount is unfolds for us what it looks like as a believer to live in the kingdom of God. Specifically, Jesus is giving a description of a person who lives out the reality of the gospel. And he, there's all kinds of warnings in the, in, the, in the Sermon on the Mount. Warnings of the consequences if we don't live under the, the principles of, of God's kingdom. And in this text, this is, this is one of several texts where Jesus is specifically talking about money. He's talking about us and our attitude and our heart in regard to money. Jesus doesn't say money is evil. Nothing in the Bible says that. But he does say this about money. He says it's dangerous, it's powerful, and it can be easily misused. So I've got three points for you. The first is this. We're talking about stewardship and how we should think about money. The first is a steward invests where he can gain an eternal reward. A steward invests where he can gain an eternal reward. Uh, verses 19 and 20. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Literally here, he's just saying, earthly, don't trust earthly treasures, but trust heavenly treasures. This is the important message for you and I. He's declaring that all of us have treasures. That's an important point. 
There's, there's no one in here from youngest to old that doesn't treasure something. All of us have a treasure. And a treasure is something that you look at and you're awed by it, you're wowed by it. Like, I got to have that. A treasure is something that fills your heart. It's what you value. It's what you say, if, if I had that thing right there, it would be worth it. Whatever I got to go through to get it, it would be worth it. A treasure is, is something that you would say, if I had that, I would be worth it. In other words, you're getting your value, your significance, your worth from, from identifying in that thing and, and saying that, man, I got it. It's, it's mine. Your treasure is your identity. Everybody has something that we're after. For some of you, your treasure is your job. You live for it. I mean, if you took your job away, it would like suffocate you. And you'd die. You'd shrivel up because you wouldn't have anything to live for. For others of you, it might be romance. I mean, you're, you're, just, I mean, you're just seeking love, and you haven't found it yet. And if you could just get it, it would make life so much worth, worthwhile for you. For some of you, you want to be famous. I mean, you, you just want to be known, well-known in every aspect of life that you live in. Perhaps it's material possessions. You just like stuff, stuff on top of stuff. For some, it's an easy, easy lifestyle. I don't want to do nothing. I want to wake up when I want to wake up. I want to do what I want to do. I want to, it's just, I want to, be, I want to live an easy lifestyle with no stress. Perhaps for you, it's travel. You just want to travel the world. There's something that your heart, your heart longs for, and that, I would tell you, is your treasure. And Jesus says very clearly, if you're treasuring anything more than him, you'll at some point get disappointed. And I would tell you, right here in this room, that's just the fact with many of us. We are disappointed. Why? Because we have bought in that something that's not eternal can be our treasure. And we're seeking it and pursuing it, and it's never going to give you exactly what you want. Jesus says, take your identity and your passion and make it not earthly, but heavenly. Second point, a steward doesn't misplace his identity. Now, this is going to sound pretty much like the first one, but I've got some subpoints here that I want to lay out for you. A steward doesn't misplace his identity. This verse is specifically in the center of this text, this pericope, because it's, you know, it's, it's the, it's the sub-message here. Jesus says, for where your heart, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Paul Tripp, one of my favorite authors, says, we live from our heart. Your heart is leading you. Not your heart that's bumping, pumping blood all through your body, but the heart that's the, the, the central causal core of all that you do. Central causal core of all that you do. Your heart is leading you to do this and not do that. Where your treasure is, your heart would be, your heart will be also. Your treasure is where your heart is. It's your identity. It's where you find yourself. Uh, what I would like to submit to you is that there are at least, there's probably more, there are at least three ways that we use our money, and there are at least three corresponding different types of people right here in this room right now in regards to this passage. Your treasure is where your heart is. Now, one group of people right here in this room are people that identify with money as your status. Money is your status. That's your identity. And a person that says money is my status, um, in fact, you might even have to say it, but you live like this. A person like this would, would look at other people who make less money, and you think that these people are lower on the money food chain. Here's how it goes. Even if you don't say that, this is how it goes. I, I'm better than them. I, I don't shop at Walmart. I, it's too many people there. They don't have good stuff. I go to Target. 
<laughs> Y'all are making me laugh. I know the new Springfield Mall just opened. I don't go there. Even they got nice restaurants. Okay, the restaurants are pretty good. I go up the road to Tyson's. I go to Tyson's, too, where all the affluent people shop. You guys ever been in Tyson's, too? My gosh, it's scary. <laughs> Who in the world has money to go there and, and like, even walk around? Two years ago, when we were first looking where we were going to stay, we were actually thinking about Tyson's. We walked into that mall, and it's like, surely, the, oh my gosh, what kind of people live here? <laughs> oh, I don't go to that restaurant. I don't go to McDonald's or, you know, Chick-fil-A. I, we go to the, you know, the more affluent, nice restaurants where they have chefs and stuff. <laughs> money is your status. If money is your status, you look at people based on their ability to hold that status. And if they aren't par- on par with you, then they're lesser than you. A second category of people would say money is security. Money is security. And these are pretty decent people. They don't use money to feel important. They don't uh, use it to feel safe. Uh, They actually, rather, they use it to feel, uh, feel safe and secure. Let me say that again. They don't use money to feel important. They use money to feel safe and secure. Uh, People that use money as security are, are people that exercise great control over their money. They save, they invest, they use it wisely. They're probably pretty frugal. And I mean, they're checking their bank account, making sure that, you know, they're looking at what's coming in and what's going out. And I mean, they're on top of their game in, in regards to their money. And most of you here, me as well, would, would think about it. I'm just like, I wish I were like that. It's like, what's wrong with that? And I would tell you absolutely nothing, except, I mean, the, the Bible does condone this, but for many people like this, it's way too easy to cross over from good stewardship, looking at my money and making sure that what's going in is, you know, what's going out is not exceeding what's going in, but you can become idolatrous over your money, calling it good stewardship. You know, on the back of our currency, it says, you know, in God I trust, but a person that uses money as security, I mean, their, their trust is in their money. It's in my money that I trust. And this last category of people says that money is scarce. Money is scarce. And in parentheses, I say money is sacred because if you ain't got no money, money if you get some, it's, it's sacred. I mean, you're really relishing it. Um, people who live in this identity, I mean, they don't have a lot of money. Uh, uh, a gourmet meal for them might be going to McDonald's and supersizing their meal. They, they don't have, um, they don't have uh, the ability to just go and buy gifts anytime they want. And so a couple, a family that are living in the scarcity of their money, uh, they may penny pinch everything. They may not eat out ever. They may depend on Christmas um, and birthdays for you know, gift cards and money that come in the mail from extended family so they can just simply put clothes on the kids and, and do what they got to do that's above whatever their budget uh, can withstand. And, and you know, a lot of people live like this, even in D.C. But here's the caution with those who are in this predicament. You know, a lot of times when money is scarce, uh, we can believe that it makes us more righteous. Like, I'm suffering. I'm, I'm suffering for Jesus, like he says I'm supposed to. We criticize everybody else. But here's the main sin. When, when you live with money as a scarcity, you know, oftentimes you're tempted to identify in your lack of money. You make that the big issue. You get this self-pity thing going, and you're, you're not worried about the money you, that you do have. You're, like, fixated on the money that you don't have. It consumes you. You're always thinking about it. And pretty soon, 
One day, you're thinking about one day I'll have the money and I'll be able to do this with it. And that those thoughts exacerbate everything else in your life. So here's a question. Which group are you in? Perhaps there's another group. I only came up with three. Which group are, would you be in? How are you identifying with your money in, as you're living it out? And I just to be honest with you, I mean, this, I'm, I'm kind of frugal with money. My family would say I'm stingy. I am. Um, so I identify with that money and security. I just feel good when, the money, I mean, when I got money in the bank, and I would be happy if no one spent it. But the problem with that is, it, I can be so frugal that it just ruins the, you know, the, just the fun and the happiness that the rest of my family experiences. And I would also just be honest with you and say, I, I mean, I've also given into this idea of, uh, of the first one, that money is, um, money is a status. I mean, when you got money, you can't help but feel just pumped out a little bit. I got some money. Hey, let's go to Chewy's. Let's go, you know. It's just how, it's just how we are. It doesn't matter, honestly, what, how you categorize yourself. It, it really doesn't, because Jesus has the same reply in regards to all these. In verse 24, we're not going to go there yet, but I'm just whetting your appetite. In verse 24, he says, no one can serve two masters. You, you can't serve God and money. That's Jesus' reply to however you live out your identity with money. The third, um, the third point I have for you is this. A steward doesn't let money blind them. A steward doesn't let money blind. I had two I had two titles for this one because I couldn't figure out which one I was which way I was going. All right, a steward doesn't get caught up in greed because really, what happens is when money blinds you, usually it's in the area of of greed. And let me let me let's lay this out for you because this is important for us because most of y'all in here don't think that you're greedy, but you are. Isn't that mess, messed up for your pastor to say that to you? I'm, I mean, I I know some of you. I don't know all of you, but you're all greedy. I am too. The primary label the Bible gives us when we sin with money is, is, is greed. That's what the Bible calls it. When you are sinning in the area of money, usually it has something to do with your greed. And this is what greed is. Greed is your intense or selfish desire for something. And it usually falls in the area of wealth, power, or food. Um, greed is when you look at money or your lack of money and you call it your God. Greed is when thoughts of money dominate you, when, when it consumes your life. Greed is when you expect money to do for you only what God can do for you, give you joy, give you security, give you purpose. One of Jesus' harshest warnings came with regard to greed. He said in Luke 12, 15, we're going to look at this on the screen here. Say this lot with me. Then he said to them, beware and be on your guard against every form of greed. For not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. I mean, that's wisdom right there. He said, even if you got a lot of stuff, your life cannot be, it just can't be all about what you have. At some point, all that stuff that you got is not going to satisfy you. Don't let greed consume you. And here's the deal. Greed is something that we don't talk about. I mean, we might kid each other and talk about being greedy with food. I mean, me and my son, Jonathan, we, I mean, honestly, we are greedy with food. I mean, our, our plates are clean. Sopping it up, okay? But none of us in this room really go around and, and chide each other or chastise each other or, or, or give each other a hard time about greed in regards to money, but we actually should. Most of the rich people that we see interviewed on TV don't, I mean, they don't talk about being greedy. Even Bill Gates, who I killed last week. You guys remember? <laughs> 
So check it out. All right, so I had community group on Tuesday night, and everybody walking through the door, Jeff, I didn't know Bill Gates died. I was like, oh, come on, give me a break. I was like confused. All right, so I'm going to resurrect Bill Gates. Bill Gates, who's alive now? <laughs> miraculous resurrection. I guess any resurrection is miraculous. So, I mean, he is the richest man in the world. And even, I mean, he's given away billions of dollars, and he has never even said anything about, I mean, he's, he's a greedy man. But you don't hear him going talking about it. Uh, there is one man in the history of our country that I know talked about greed. His name was um, Andrew Carnegie. A uh, hundred years ago, uh, he was the richest man in the world. And he talked about greed, and he came up with a mission statement. And his mission statement went like this. It was to guide the rest of his life. He was 33 years old at the time. It was 1860. He says these words, I'm going to arrange my life. So that two years from now, I'll always have an annual income of no more than $50,000. Think about that. This is 1860. He's got, uh, he's got a, steel, a, a fortune from you know, his steel industry that he only wanted to take in $50,000 a year. Most of us in this room say, give it to me, give it to me, give it to me now, right? He only wanted $50,000. Beyond this, he said, I never want to earn, I never want to make an increase on my fortune. But instead, I'll spend the surplus on benevolent purposes. Why? Because men and women, people like you and I, are idolaters. The amassing of wealth is one of the worst species of idolatry. To continue much longer, he's speaking of himself, to continue much longer overwhelmed with my business cares, only to think about more ways to make money in the shortest time, this must degrade, my, this must degrade me beyond hope of permanent recovery. I mean, he was saying, he was saying to himself, Man, my intense desire to make more money is like the ruin of me. And the interesting thing about Andrew Carnegie is he actually lived up to what he said. He wrote, he scribbled this down on a piece of paper. Guess what? This guy was illiterate. He only had an elementary age uh, education. And if you saw the paper that he wrote this little life mission on, it had all kind of misspellings and grammatical errors in it. But he did what he promised. He helped the poor. Uh, we have libraries in our country because he started, started building them. He was illiterate. And he wanted to make sure that the, a, a country of people who were impoverished and didn't have what he had could study and learn. And Andrew Carnegie is, I mean, he exposed the delusion that money is going to give you everything that you want. And that really is what Jesus is talking about. Money and greed, it'll blind you. Verse 22. The eye is a lamp of the body, so, is your eye, uh, so if your eye is healthy... Your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? And so Jesus is giving a, a general application of money in these two verses. And, and he says, he's really saying the eye is the window of your soul. Your, your eyes, metaphorically, your eyes are letting in either good things or bad things. You ever notice how you can tell what's going on in a person if you just stare into their eyes a little bit? You can tell if they're jealous, if they're prejudiced, if, uh, if, if they need something, if they're lusting. I mean, do y'all look at people in their eyes ever? <laughs> Try it. You can tell what's going on in their eyes. You can tell when someone is, is resenting you. And so Jesus is saying, these are like the, the films over your eyes, like someone that has cataracts. These kind of things can come over our eyes and they, they make it hard for us to see. It, it blinds us. Greed blinds us. Money blinds us. And so 
The specific application here is to money, obviously. And so he says, if your eye is healthy, the word in the Greek for healthy is, is the word generous, open-hearted, and warm. He, he says, if the light that comes into you and, and eases into your soul is, is, is a good light, then you're going to be just like that light. You're going to be generous and open-hearted and warm. But then he gives the opposite expression. He says, if it's bad. Guess what bad means in the Greek? Bad. If, if the light is, if it's, a, if it's a bad light, the, the, the meaning here really is, if it's miserly, if it's worthless, you're going to be worthless. Here's a lesson for us. Jesus is teaching here um, how you see money matters. If you see money in the wrong light, it's destructive. It'll own you. It'll drive you. It'll lead you to perverse things. And so he's, his exhortation here, we have to strive to see money correctly. We have to strive, strive to see it correctly. And so here's the question for us. The question for a steward that a steward should ask with regard to greed and your money. Are you accountable in this area? I mean, is, is anybody in your life peering into you, asking you hard questions about you and your thoughts about money? Which way you lean? How you identify yourself with your money? The reality with money and greed and our potential blindness is is that we can't trust ourselves. I can't trust myself. None of us can. We all need someone to whom we can be accountable. Money, greed, blinds you. Last verse, verse 24. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And so this is it right here. And Jesus is, is basically pointing us to, to this question. How do we serve God? Let's, let's just assume you're a Christian, and even though you might have a hard time between your money, I mean, choosing between worshiping your money, because your, I mean, your money is keeping you alive, it's giving you the stuff you need, or, or believing God and serving God. Let's say you, you really want to serve God. And so if Jesus were asking us, I mean, you can't serve both, so which one are you going to serve? Let's say we raise our hand, all right, I'm going to serve God. So how do we do that? The truth is, he's already told us. This is rhetorical. So in verse 19, he already told us the answer. Jesus starts with the answer, and then he unfolds uh, this idea of, of how you're serving God with your money. And he says it uh, pretty clearly. He says, be careful what you treasure and invest in eternal things. Beyond that, let me give you two principles of how to make this, how I think you can make this plain. Firstly, in regards to our money, how we can serve God, we, we got to we got to gain it honestly. Three Proverbs here. Proverbs 10.2. Treasures gained by wickedness do not, provi- do not profit, but righteousness delivers from, for, uh, delivers from death. Next proverb. Proverbs 15.27. Whoever is greedy for unjust gain troubles his own household, but he who hates bribes will live. Next one. Proverbs 22.16. Whoever oppresses the poor to increase his own wealth or gives to the rich will only come to poverty. These are, you know, the, the, the wisdom of Proverbs. You, you find more about money in Proverbs than, than a lot of the rest of the Bible, and that's why we've centered on these in the last two weeks. What the Bible is teaching us through these verses and more is, is how to pursue wealth. It, it, you got to work hard. And so it's not saying that you, you should not work hard uh, to, to gain the money to do the things that you want. 
And so whatever your career path, you should aspire to do it. And I think it's a good and an honoring thing to have godly ambition and to want to be successful. But what these Proverbs are encouraging us to do is that we shouldn't sell out to get there. We, we can't be dishonest in trying to earn the money that we're trying to earn to do the things that we want to do in life. We don't stab anybody in the back. That's what the proverb is saying. We don't oppress the poor. We don't make shady deals. We should pursue success, but do it as the men and women of God. That's the wisdom of Proverbs. Be, be a Christian, even if, you know, as you're trying to be successful with your money. And I would tell you, all of those who are, especially those of you who are professional in here, I'm, I'm speaking mostly to the men, but if you're a woman in a professional career, you know what? It's so easy for us to choose our work and all the things that our work requires over our family. And a lot of times, we'll, because we're affluent and our money, I mean, I mean, our job has given us resources and things that other people don't have, a lot of times we'll just, um, we'll just thrust trinkets and toys in front of our family. Here's sweetie, here's your mink, here's your diamond ring. And I, I, mean, who, I mean, who's going to refuse that? I want one. Right? But we'll give our kids uh, $200 jeans, a car when they're 16, uh, an iPhone, but we won't give them our presents. And so here's the foolish thing, to invest in stuff because you can afford it, but not give your family the, the pleasure of your presence. We have to gain money honestly and pursue it, I mean, not at the, the loss of our uprightness. Secondly and lastly, we got to care for it diligently. Proverbs 27, 23, and 24 Know well the condition of your flocks. This is a strange verse here. Know well the condition of your flocks and give attention to your herds. For riches do not last forever. And does a crown endure to all generations? I'm going to explain that in just a second. And then lastly, 1 Corinthians 4.2. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. I think the overarching guidance for us as stewards is encapsulated in these two verses. The, the wisdom of Proverbs and Paul in the New Testament, are he's saying, Know your resources that you have well. If you got sheep, count them. Know where they are. Know what the condition of, they, of them are. Why? Because they're not your sheep. You're just a steward. They belong to God. He expects you to take good care of them. They've been entrusted to you for you to steward uh, for your joy, but ultimately for the glory of God. And secondly, he's saying this. This is what God expects, that we would be found faithful. God wants us to be faithful with all the resources that he's given us. And if you're in our community groups, that's what we're trying to unpack. There's a lot of practicality of, of how, I mean, how do I, how can I care for my money diligently? How can I be honest with it? How can I serve God as, as Jesus is encouraging us and exhorting us to do here in this, uh, in this text? And I would tell you, I mean, community group, come to community group, because there's some stuff for you to, to, to learn if you can. Dave Ramsey, we're going through a video series uh, that Dave Ramsey did a few years ago. Um, I don't remember the name of it, like Legacy, Money, and Life or something like that. Um, but it's on Right Now Media. If you can't make it to community group for whatever reason, there's a sheet on the guest services table. I'm going to give you access uh, through Acts 29. We're an Acts 29 church plant, and Acts 29 has given our church complete access to an online resource called Right Now Media. And... Uh, if you are here and not a part of a community group, I still want you to view these videos because they can be life-changing for you, especially if you have money issues. And so sign up, 
I'll, I'll invite you to Right Now Media and you have, have access to this. This is some of the stuff we're learning. I mean, you got to operate out of a budget. I mean, how do you care for your money diligently? Operate out of a budget, put it on paper, and don't spend it unless you've accounted for it. Get out of debt. Why? Because there's, the Bible doesn't say it's not a sin. You're not going to go to hell for it. It's not going to keep you out of heaven. But it, 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 it causes you to live far beneath the standard God would have you live. And more importantly, Scripture says, the proverb says, you are a slave to whoever you owe money to, whether it's your best friend or American Express. Be ready for emergencies. Why? Because it's going to rain. It's raining today. It's going to rain. And then I think, lastly, I would just say, use and spend your money in a God-honoring way. Um, I got a proverb here that I didn't look up. I'm going to look it up real quick. Proverbs 3, verse 9. Proverbs 3, verse 9. What does that say? Honor the Lord with your, with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. And so, I mean, the, the wisdom of Proverbs here is, God wants you to honor him and honor him first before you do uh, above and all that, that you do with with your money. In other words, sow into the kingdom of God. And so as we close here, here's the question I want you to ponder above all the stuff that I've said today. How do we walk in good stewardship? We're talking about being good stewards. And if we would just keep on going in uh, from chapter five of Matthew, from chapter six of Matthew on down to the end of of this section of scripture, Jesus ends on verse uh, Matthew 6.33. We're going to unpack this verse next week, but here's what Matthew 6.33 says. It says, seek first his kingdom, the kingdom of God, and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you as well. All right, that's a, a, another sermon for another day. What's the kingdom? It's the reign and rule of Jesus on planet earth. The, the kingdom of God is understanding that God is in control. He's ultimately in control. The kingdom is it's the place where God is in charge. It's where you, understanding that God is in charge, submits to his control. And I would tell you, some of, some of us in this room, whether you've been in church for many years or perhaps this is your very first day in church, I mean, likely you haven't done that. You haven't come to the reality of life. What's the reality of life? God is in control. He made it all. He owns it all. He controls it all. And I would just encourage you, if your money is funny, if you if you just got issues with your money, perhaps it's because your life is just out of whack. You haven't yet bought into the fact that God is the reality. God is in control. And that really is the starting point, coming into God's kingdom. In another part of Scripture, John 3, the the the, the, the writer, uh, the gospel writer John says, you can't even come into God's kingdom unless you're born again. That means there has to be a spiritual transaction where you're acknowledging that you're a sinner, that God has sent Jesus to forgive you of your sin and die for you on the cross, and he gives you the Holy Spirit such that he gives you a brand new heart to acknowledge who he is and live from the perspective that God is in charge of everything. So I would encourage some of you, all of us really here today, we just need to be reminded of this that God is in charge. And perhaps you just need to bow your knee, ask God for mercy for all the ways that you've dismissed him out of your life, especially in this, this area of money, and ask him to come, extend his mercy to you, and, and, and love you, and teach you, you know, from there, 
how you can stop being your own savior and trust Jesus to be your savior. Now, some of us here just need to live in the reality of the kingdom of God. What's that reality? God is in charge. He's, he's even in charge of the money that you've earned. He's given you the ability to do that. Let's pray. Psalmist says, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Lord, we believe that. We pray that you would give us a revelation of, as people who are created by you, living in your world, uh, um, just enjoying the stuff that your world produces for us. Thank you, Lord God, for the lives that we live. I thank you for this congregation of people and just for how diverse it is in terms of even our economic status. Lord, we are in various places in our lives in regards to money, about how we think about it and our need for it. I pray that you would all bring us to the, the, the base idea that, that you own it all. The psalmist says that you own a, uh, the cattle on a thousand hills. You are immensely prosperous. The neat thing is that you have given us as vice regents and stewards of your great creation, dominion over your earth. Lord, help us to be, help us to be trustworthy with what you've given us. I pray for those who are in money difficulties that you would uh, give them wisdom, bring along people their way that can help them with the intricacies of finance and budget and just doing the right thing with their money. God, we pray that we would heed the guidance of scripture Lord, as Jesus says that we would not treasure earthly things, we would, our treasure would be in the eternal. Jesus, that we would recognize that our ultimate treasure is you. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.